Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. What do you say, big guy? You want to go for a ride in the Bobmobile? The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, April 5, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 805 of the Biden-Harris administration, 580 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on Instagram, the Bob Seska. Follow me there. Also on Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go. Spoutable Bob Seska. Our Patreon is bobseskashow.com. Okay, I'm so glad that Simon Rosenberg is here today, despite the fact that Trump's been indicted and the Republicans are likely going to renominate a criminal who's lost three elections in a row. We're hearing that all of this could actually help the Republicans retake the White House somehow. So I think we need to hear from Simon with some of his grounded optimism today. You might know Simon from his incredibly accurate forecasting of the 2022 midterms and from such shows as this one. He just launched a new Substack, The Hopium Chronicles, simonwdc.substack.com, link in the description for that. Meantime, please help support this show by subscribing to our Patreon at bobseskashow.com. Okay, here's my talk with the great Simon Rosenberg. More fun, more music, The Bob Seska Show. I want to start with the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. Uh, talk about why this particular victory by Janet Protasiewicz is so important for not just Wisconsin, but the future of democracy. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, it's great to be here with you, Bob. And thanks for all that you do. And, oh, thank you. Um, and the <clears throat> look, this was I, this was a big win. I mean, this flipped yeah. the Supreme Court from uh, four to three conservative to four to three liberal or progressive. Um, and we know that not only has the uh, the legislature in Wisconsin maintained and kept uh, an abortion law, a wildly restrictive abortion law from 1849, it's hard to believe. Yeah. But, you know, Wisconsin is arguably the most gerrymandered state in the country. and. It's been the case Democrats win statewide and only get 35% of the state legislative seats. There's something similar happening in North Carolina, which are two of the most gerrymandered 
states in the entire country. Mm -hmm. And what we have the opportunity to do now is to allow fair maps to be passed um, so that the people of Wisconsin get to pick their leaders, not the Republican Party. I mean, this is a not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is a, a basic pro-democracy issue. And the stakes right. here are very high. I mean, there really are right now two states that um, you know, part of the history of this is that we in 20 in 2012, the Democrats nationally had a bad redistricting. Um, and where it really affected us was in states like North Carolina, Wisconsin, Michigan, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. And in some of these states, we've un we've started to unravel that control, but they used those significant gains in redistricting to create essentially something that doesn't really look like a democracy any longer in both North Carolina and Wisconsin, and with, with Wisconsin being the worst in the country. And so this has the opportunity to restore fair maps, better maps for Congress, better maps for the state legislature that are just competitive. I mean, now all we want, you know, if we're getting 52, 53% of the vote, we should be getting at least 45% of the seats, not 35% of the seats. I mean, at that point, you're really not operating in a democracy any longer. And I think for your listeners, these two states are really have been laboratories of autocracy, not laboratories of democracy. And this is why this election mattered uh, so much. And obviously, yeah. Wisconsin will be one of the three or four most important battleground presidential states next year. So, you know, making sure that the vote is counted, that there isn't any shenanigans, that, you know, we don't have any of the stuff that the Trump world tried, you know, a few years ago. All of that is much less likely now because of this, um, and that's good for the country. Uh, just in terms of gerrymandering writ large, in terms of the overall problem that that poses for democracy, it seems to me as if, Simon, the more extreme the Republicans get, the more and more they're going to tether themselves to gerrymandering, making it increasingly difficult to uh, sort of eliminated across the board. Certainly, Democratic states can roll it back, and there's a, a very good likelihood that a lot of the gerrymandering that happened in Wisconsin, as you said, will be rolled back by the Supreme Court now with this liberal majority. However, in red states, and this especially applies to congressional districts, which affect us all, how do you get Republicans to agree to pull back on gerrymandering so it's just not a unilateral kind of thing on the Democratic side alone, which actually, in a national sense, puts us yeah. at a disadvantage? You know what I mean? Mutually assured I, I think, destruction. I think the way to, yeah. to think about this, Bob, is that it's very possible that the Republicans have become aware that they can't win a majority of the national vote ever again. Yep. That'll be very difficult for them to stay as MAGA and extreme conservatives and win, you know, the national vote. And I think that what's flowing from that basic recognition is a series of illiberal and anti-democratic steps that are attempting to gain power through means other than winning an election. I think it's mm -hmm. it's much more comprehensive than just gerrymandering, right? It's Trump trying to cheat. I mean, he got indicted yesterday, largely due to him trying to cheat in the 2016 election. And that's what that was. He cheated in 2016, an yep. election decided by three states, 70,000 votes. If Stormy Daniels had become public, he probably would have lost the election. Instead, he illegally you know, made that go away and covered <laughs> up for it and is in serious trouble for what he did. And it's a any definition of a high crime and misdemeanor 
cheating in an American election is a high crime. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we have seen also what's happening with the debt ceiling, where Republicans, rather than going through the normal traditional budget process that's been in place in the United States since the 18th century, they're now using this extraordinary mean to blackmail, you know, Joe Biden and the Democrats into doing things that they couldn't do through a normal legislative process. Um, you know, the Supreme Court has unraveled all sorts of common sense ways of protecting our democracy. So the assault, sort of the illiberal assault on our democracy is comprehensive and it's manifesting in different ways. We're seeing it in Tennessee with the effort of the Tennessee legislature to expel three legislators who were duly elected yep. um, because they protested over people getting slaughtered in the streets. We saw it with Ron DeSantis in Florida removing an elected official, duly elected official. Um, you know, these are worrisome signs that the Republican Party has you know, made a fundamental strategic decision that they have to essentially work the refs cheap in order to achieve their political ends because they can't do it through the ballot box. And it, you know, the traditional way that we do this in a democracy, it's hard to imagine a more fundamental betrayal of the United States than that. And, and about the idea of the United States, what our role in history, the, the, you know, the idea that we created this alternative way of running a country and a society that didn't have oligarchs in charge and kings. And the Republicans are on the verge of abandoning yep. uh, our 200-year-plus history of understanding how the best way to organize a society is. And everything that's made America great, they're now actually working against, not for. And it is it should be worrisome to your listeners. But the superpower that we have, Bob, right? the way we were able to overcome <laughs> all of this is to continue to win elections. Yep. And What's important about what just happened in Wisconsin and what happened in the midterms in 2022 is that in the battleground states, the states that really determine control in the presidential election and in the Senate and the House, we've had three very good elections in a row. And, you know, they we've litigated MAGA in these states. They're not into MAGA. They don't like MAGA. They know it. They've rejected it, which is why the fact that the two leading Republican candidates for president in 2024, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, seem to be in a competition for who can be most MAGA, right? Ultra MAGA, super yeah. MAGA, whatever you want to call it, yeah. is a big problem for them as we head into the election, which is why I just want to say to your listeners, there's a lot of reasons to be worried, concerned, and everything else. But at the end of the day, you know, we're doing the work that we have to do. Our grassroots is rising up. We're winning elections. And we have to keep our head down and keep doing that for the next year and a half. Maybe you can talk me off a ledge about this, Simon. Um, the bad news coming out of Wisconsin yesterday is that the gerrymandered Republican state legislature won their special election, gained the last seat that they need for a Senate supermajority. And that means they can not only impeach the Democratic governor, but they can also impeach Janet. Is that true? Is that how this is going to work? I, I think we shouldn't really worry about that right now. I okay. think it's important for us to live in the moment where you right. know, we just did something really good. And Democrats, I think, are, you know, we often too quickly go into fear, uncertainty, doubt and scare and fear, you know, of the other <laughs> That's guys. So true. And, and I think today and let's see what happens. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think we have to recognize this given the election results. Mm hmm. If they were to turn around and try to impeach her for no reason or the governor, they're they're risking a potential backlash in 2024 that you yeah. know could wipe could be a tidal wave against them. I, I'm not 
And the thing is, we also can't control that. I mean, I want to be very clear about mm-hmm. the issue of what's happening in North Carolina and Wisconsin is that there are things we can control here, right? We yeah. can win elections. We can run up the margins. We can get to 55%. We can't control them being crazy. <laughs> and and we have to not allow their craziness in some ways in our head to overwhelm, you know, and to, and to get confused about what it is we can control and what it is that, you know, if we were operating in a traditional Western democracy, the things that you're describing and the things that may happen in North Carolina are things that wouldn't happen, right? Yeah. But the Republicans have left that space mm-hmm. of what's permissible and possible in a democracy. And that's not on us. That's on them. And the voters don't like it. And so we don't. there's a limit to what we can control and what we can do. And I think that we have to stop. I mean, I was disappointed today just on my Substack, my new Substack, Hopium Chronicles. Yes. Rather than most people sort of celebrating this remarkable victory, strong win in Chicago, right? Immediately, people started talking about the Supreme Court race. And what I wrote was, hey, guys, can we just have a day where like, we're taking the win and you know celebrating <laughs> yeah. that and yeah. not getting all freaked out? Because the freak out, as you know, Bob, can become debilitating, right? Mm-hmm. It can cause us to stop acting and taking the actions we need to take to defeat MAGA over time. And and I think we can live with the fear, but we can't let it overwhelm us. And the way that we have to manage that is by taking the wins when they come, celebrating the good things that we've done, understanding that Joe Biden's been a really good president, the country is better off, the Democratic Party is strong. There's a lot that's going right. That's where we should be spending our time together, much more of our time together than constantly reminding ourselves about how scary and crazy they've gotten. Yeah, that's so true. And you know what? One of the things that we can feel good about uh, regarding yesterday's election in Wisconsin is the youth vote, once again, was extremely robust. Uh, were the turnout numbers actually comparable to 22? Is that I, I, I don't know yet, and I haven't had time today, and, I, and I'm going to, with some friends over the next few days, start going into the data a little bit. But obviously, winning by 11 points yeah. And getting the key here. So I've written a, a piece that I encourage all of your listeners to to read called Get to 55. And the theory of that piece is that from 1992 to 2004, we averaged 47% of the vote in presidential elections over four elections. And then I and others came to understand that there were two new parts of our electorate that were growing and getting to critical mass, Hispanics and millennial voters. And we argued that the Democrats really had to run towards this new electorate to expand our coalition. There was mm-hmm. a whole group of us that worked on this. And in 2006, we did that. Uh, there was a rejection of Bush in the way that there's a rejection of MAGA now. There's a rejection of the failed war in Iraq and a sort of general view that Bush had been a bad president. And in 2006, we had an extraordinary midterm election. And in the four presidential elections since, we've averaged 51% of the vote. So we've gone from 47 to 51, a four-point jump, Wow! by understanding that there was a new demographic opportunity and building our politics around it or leaning into it. I think we're in a very analogous moment here, where the awfulness of and the extremism of the Republican Party is on full display. People are increasingly, I think, in Israel, in Tennessee, in, in Florida, in Wisconsin, are rejecting and coming to understand the dangers and the threat of this politics. And it gives us an opportunity to expand our coalition, to get bigger, 
to get to 55, as I call it. We jumped four last time. We're at 51. We need to get to 55. Mm -hmm. We get to 55 in 2024, and I think we can break the back of MAGA. I think we can loosen the grip, the dark grip of MAGA on the Republican Party by having their fourth consecutive election where it failed and running up the score against them. So I've been calling for us to think about a politics where we can get to 55. Well, we got to 55 last night Mm -hmm. in Wisconsin, right, in and we were able to build a coalition that won by 11 points with a heavily funded Republican. In 2002, despite high inflation, red wave, everything else, you know, we got up into the 50s in most of the major battleground states. We got to 59 in Colorado. We got to, you know, 54 in New Hampshire. Wow. And and so this idea that we can not just settle on a victory where we're sort of you know, worried on the last day, we have to think about crushing them, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and breaking their coalition, using abortion, using the youth vote, you know, regaining some of the ground we've lost with Hispanic voters, creating a more formal alliance with never Trumpers. I lay out this whole theory about four areas that we can do, go to to expand our vote. And I think we have to now start organizing our politics around being on offense all the time. We're not in a defensive crouch. We're not scared and worried. We've been winning elections. We're a better party. We have better leaders. They're crazy serial criminals. We have to stop being scared by them. The mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz effect, right? <laughs> we, you know, we have to. The curtain's been pulled back on them, and you know now. So, my view is this is an attitude change in our family. We have to start looking at expansion, abundance, not scarcity and defense. Um, and I think if we do that, we can get to fifty-five. I've been calling on this, and last night. She hit 55 on the mark, right, which shows that even in a state that we struggled in in 2022 and we lost a very close Senate race and we barely won it in 2020, one of the closest battlegrounds, we pushed our number in a very competitive race against a MAGA candidate up into the mid-50s. And that should be terrifying the Republicans and giving us the confidence that we have the tools to build this um, really durable and serious anti-MAGA coalition that can deny them power uh, in the years ahead. That's what we got to go for. Are you feeling confident, Simon, that uh, Joe Biden will be more or less unaffected by any Democrats who might be kind of second guessing his age? I've been seeing some polls along those lines where Democrats are like, ah, I don't know if he should run again. But I- I'm not overly concerned about that. I think everyone's going to get in line uh, behind not only Joe Biden, but his quite successful record when the time comes. Should there be any concern along those lines that uh, there are going to be enough Democrats to defect from Donald Trump? Or from uh, Joe Biden. Oh my God! I almost said Donald Trump. Defect from <laughs> from Joe I Biden. I don't think. Yeah. Listen, I, I, it's a really interesting question, right? So let's let's just you know uh, play with it for a little bit. Yeah. The most important thing that Joe Biden can do, whether he runs for re-election or not, is to implement this ambitious agenda that we just passed, and make the country better. And that's what he's doing, right? He's ignoring yep. Trump. He's going out and selling his agenda. He's making sure that we're implementing the infrastructure bill and the climate bill and, you know, the chips bill, the money's going out. We're seeing unprecedented domestic investment, which is going to create millions and millions of jobs. And we need to make sure people understand the significance of what we've done this year. To me, we have two big jobs this year that we need to do to make it more likely we do well next year. And neither of them have anything to do with Joe Biden to some degree, right? We have to Mm -hmm. sell 
the agenda of what we've done and make sure people understand the significance, the historical significance of what we've done. We know that people don't know. We know that even many Democrats don't know about what's happened. Well, we can change that. That's what advertising can do. That's what candidate visits can do and presidential visits, right? We have the ability to change that. And I think we need to launch a national youth voter drive because I think it's just something, it's crazy that the part of the electorate that's most democratic is the one that votes the least. Um, you know, we should change that too. And, and we have the power to change both of those things if we set out to do it. And so I think that, I think Biden's going to run for election, but we don't know that, right? We don't really know that. Mm -hmm. And I think regardless, we need him to be the best president he can be to set it up for, to make it the, the election be a simple choice between a party that's done a lot of good and made us things better and a party that's a little bit too crazy and we can't trust the power, right? That fundamental contrast is, is the contrast that we want next year, right? Yeah. We did good when you put us in power. They're a little too crazy. You can't trust them. That's going to be the structure of the election, regardless of who our nominee is, right? And frankly, regardless of who their nominee is. And so I, I think we shouldn't, I think Joe Biden will have a very powerful case to make that he did good with the power that was invested in him by the American people and that he deserves another shot at it. And, yeah. and so I think though what it means, and you're and the reason why you're asking is does that are we going to have an enthusiasm problem? Are there going to be problems with young voters? Mm -hmm. Is it well, we haven't we have seen very strong performance with young people both in 2020 and 2022 despite Joe Biden being the head of the party. And I think because people, young voters, know the stakes of what's happening here. And I think yeah. if you, when you add to the stakes is now abortion, which disproportionately affects young men and women in the United States, you know, there's much more reason for and gun violence and all the things that are very proximate to young voters. You know, they are feeling this threat of MAGA in a way that older voters aren't, I think. Yeah. And... Biden's done a very good job in a policy agenda addressing all this. He may never make the deep emotional connection to these voters that other candidates would, but I don't know that that's required. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and so I'm, I will just say that I'm sort of optimistic that the scenario I just laid out is, is the likely scenario next year. I'd rather be us than them in every way. Um, but, you know, we know this is going to be a brutal fight and they're going to have a lot of money and they're going to have Twitter and Elon Musk on their side and they're going to have all the things that they do to sort of game the system to for to allow a minority party to have a shot. I mean, mm -hmm. they've only broken 50 percent of the vote in the presidential election once uh, since 1992. Right? Yep. And, you know, we've won more votes in seven out of elections. We've averaged 51% of the vote in the last four elections. I mean, we're a majority party now. Mm -hmm. For the first time since the 1940s, the Democratic Party is now the majority party in the United States. They're the minority party. And it's a center-left country today. Yep. Um, they know that. And that's why there were, you know, why Twitter, you know, Elon came and tried to take Twitter away from all of us. And mm. you know, they're going to try to do other, I think, malevolent things with media. They, they work they're trying to use all these other ways. I don't know that it's going to work and it hasn't worked in the last three elections. Yeah. yeah. Right. And the truth is that Trump got really lucky in 2016. It was a one and, you know, it was a three point shot from mid court, you know, with one second left and he, and he sunk it. And, um, but you know, they, he's not been sinking it since. Right? No. And, and, and so, you know, I, I feel good about where we are. We should all feel good about where we are 
but recognizing we, we still have a lot of work ahead of us. Okay, once again, Simon's Substack is simonwdc.substack.com, link in the description. And here's the best way to listen to the Bob Seska Show without all these commercial interruptions. Just go right now to our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com, scroll down to the link for the ultimate edition of the podcast, and sign up for just $15 per month. You're thinking, oh my God, $15 a month. I'm paying for all these streaming services. How am I going to afford $15 a month? What are you giving me for that $15 a month, Bob? Well, in exchange for your generous support, we're going to give you a completely commercial-free version of the Tuesday podcast, the Wednesday podcast, the Thursday podcast, and you're going to get the Shadow Docket show every Tuesday and Thursday. But wait, there's more. You're also going to get the Friday After Party podcast with me and Kimberly included in that level of support. All for just $15 per month. You get everything we have to offer on our Patreon page. That's bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash Show. And we thank you. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bob Seska. All-time favorites all day long. Everyone wants to know the answer to this question right now. And obviously, we don't know. We can't read the future. There's no real way to determine how this is going to impact the 2024 election. But how is this Trump indictment working into your calculus for 2024? Is this something that's going to yeah, hurt I the Republicans? Is it going to help? Yeah, I think it's significant. I, I, I think that if Trump gets indicted four times in the next six to nine months, how is the Republican Party going to run in 2024 and say, oh, oops, you know, <laughs> no biggie, you know, yeah. You know, not our guy. Like, you know, he was a coffee boy, right? Um, <laughs> you know, it, we had nothing to do with him. I mean, this is a stain on the entire Republican Party. Yep. This could become an historic stain in the way that the abortion extremism is a, is a historic negative brush against them that could last for a generation more. I think the Republicans are playing with fire here, but politically as a strategist. <laughs> They are doing things that could cause brand damage to them that could last a very long time that they won't be able to fix because there are lines that if you cross, you can't come back. The the rallying around Trump in the last few days has been a very, very bad sign for the ability of the Republican Party to have any kind of civil conversation with the American people mm -hmm. next year. Um, they've embraced a serial criminal who's betrayed his country. He's stolen, 
you know, top secret documents and lied to the FBI about it. He led an insurrection. He colluded with the Russians in 2016. I mean, the crimes and the, the things that he's done to our country has no analog in our history. There's not been a political figure like this in all of American history. He's the worst American to have ever lived in our history. Yeah. And they're rallying around him. I don't know how they come back to us a year and a half from now and say, Trump, who's that guy? I don't even know who he is. He wasn't, you know, part of our family, right? Like, who's this guy, Trump? I mean, we got this new guy, Ronnie D, right? <laughs> he like likes a six-week abortion ban and wants to beat up on Disney. The, and all the and so, oh, that guy's kind of crazy too. And my my line about this is, you know, for the Republicans, their dilemma now is number one guy, serial criminal, betrayed the country, led an insurrection, <laughs> right? Number two guy is like going on an extremist binge down in Florida yep. and there's no number three guy. Right. And, and that's the problem that they have, which is that, you know, they've become more MAGA in the last couple months than they were even six months ago. And like, people don't like MAGA. So I don't know what they're doing. And I don't know the political, I mean, Ron DeSantis to me has made a series of just sort of extraordinary political miscalculations. And it's really possible that he's kind of a clumsy oaf and really isn't, doesn't know what he's doing and then he's yeah. living in, in this right-wing bubble um and it, you know when he has to go out and like deal with the real world and leave his bubble he's a bubble boy right when he has to go out and leave the bubble like all these crazy things happen to him you know he went into chicago and over the objection of vallis and endorsed vallis in the race which was then used by you know, the new the mayor elect to label Vallis as a right wing Republican. And can you imagine a candidate going in and intervening in a race <laughs> where he was not welcome? I mean, who does that? Right. And so that DeSantis may have cost Vallis the mayor's race in Chicago last night. I mean, what <laughs> I an incompetent it. boob, right? This guy is. And yeah. so, you know, it's I I look, it's why I think. You know, I get up every day thinking I'd rather be us than them. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I mean that in every way, yep. right? Politically, morally, policy-wise. Um, and, you know, it's it's something we have to sort of do your daily med meditation on. However, you all orient yourselves in the morning, coffee, newspaper, listening to podcasts, whatever it is, hopefully reading my Substack. Reading your Substack, uh, yeah. <laughs> reading my Substack, right. Um, you know, you... One of the things I do every day is I just remind myself I'd rather be us than them. Right. Obviously, it's becoming clear that DeSantis probably doesn't have the heft to overtake Donald Trump in that primary race. So it seems as it seems to me as if the Republicans have made yet another deal with the devil. And it's not just any devil. It's a devil who's lost three elections in a row, uh, yep. lost the popular vote. So if, if you go yep. to 2016, you could say, uh, maybe three and a half elections because he lost the popular vote in 2016. So this is the guy. It seems, according to the polls, that really no one's going to overtake Donald Trump. I mean, it could break down differently when it comes to individual primaries and where Trump stands in those states. But as of right now, nationally speaking, there's just no way Ron DeSantis is going to overtake Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, I mean, I here's my gut, right? This is not, and I'm I'm going to acknowledge that I am not an expert in Republican primaries, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to, you know, there's a limit to my analytical capacity here. <laughs> However, 
I think Trump looked like a very diminished figure yesterday. Yeah. I think that the wizard had the curtain pulled back on him. I think people saw him not as all powerful, but as that there were powers above him that he couldn't resist, that he had to eat it yesterday, you know, in the courtroom. I know he did his ridiculous dystopian rally last night at Mar-a-Lago, but, you know, that felt, um, I mean, he felt a little spent yesterday to me and, and, and diminished. And I think that his whole macho image, right, is been undermined and challenged. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think you could see uh, erosion for him in the coming months. And I think if he gets another hit and he has to show up in another courtroom, which he will in all likelihood very soon, right? And and the frankly, the the issue of the stolen documents is a far more grave set of crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leading an insurrection, a serious set of crimes, right? Uh, the Georgia thing about, you know, cheating and interfering in an election, pretty serious stuff. Yeah. He, if he shows up in another courtroom and his tie, his blue suit and his red tie and has to eat it and, you know, look like he's been diminished. I, I think this could start really having an impact on his own supporters understanding of the gravity of what's happening to Trump, that he doesn't have the skills to wave away these rogue prosecutors that actually maybe he did something really wrong, which he did. Right. And, and yeah. so, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm I just my instinct from watching the last 24 hours is that this was bad for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was really bad for him. And it also happened in his hometown, you know, which, you know, the Republicans keep trying to label New York as like this blue bastion. I mean, it's Donald Trump's hometown. I mean, what could, yeah. what where do you go get a more favorable audience right, right. for a trial than the place you grew up? Mm-hmm. And, the, and if the place you grew up, people don't like you. Well, that says a lot about who you are, right? And yeah. it's not it's not a Democrat Republican thing. I mean, Trump was actually given a trial in his first case in the most favorable possible place in the country, his hometown. And, you know, so the whining you're hearing from Republicans right now is just it's incredible. Here's my thinking on this, Simon. Tell me if you uh concur with this or not. Um like five, six years ago, there was already rampant Donald Trump fatigue. And now with this particular indictment and the very real prospects of further indictments, one in uh, maybe several in Georgia, several more coming out of Jack Smith's investigation, there is going to be the Trump circus continuously between now and November 2024, at least. And what I'm thinking is, with that Trump fatigue as the fertile ground to start with, add this circus environment centered around Donald Trump, where he's going to be screaming into every microphone he can get his hands on, that's going to increase that level of Trump fatigue. I don't think it's going to increase the number because everyone who supports Donald Trump already supports Donald Trump. I think he's at a I think he's at a ceiling right now, and I don't think it expands well enough. I mean, certainly he's raising a lot of money, but that's separate. That's within that bubble. But I don't think he can overcome that ceiling, can he? Listen, I, I don't think we know what's going to happen here, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, my instinct at this point is that he is more now likely not to be the nominee than to be the nominee. Interesting. I, I don't know what happens. I don't, I also, as a political professional, have been 
deeply underwhelmed by DeSantis and feel that the guy <laughs> is just not ready yeah. to do this. I mean, that it didn't mean that he won't be ready someday, but he's not ready now. And he is a far, he's not a good performer. He is making, I think, enormously stupid strategic choices. I think they've positioned him way too far to the right. He can't win in 2024 in a six-week abortion ban in the battleground states. It's crazy. <laughs> and and so I don't know who else emerges. I don't when you look at the rest of the field, Asa Hutchinson, Mike Pompeo, you know, uh Nikki Haley, I mean, who of that world can both win the nomination and then bring along all the Trump folks with them? In you know, because in essence the Republican Party has really split into two. I mean, to be you know, uh, a political analyst on this for a second. Part of the reason that the never Trumpers struggled so much in 2022, like Oz and those candidates, is that they're they had a very hard time bringing the traditional Republican Party with them because they were so MAGA, and and so you have this problem where it's going to be hard for a MAGA candidate to unite the Republican Party, and it may be even harder. For a non-MACA candidate to unite the Republican Party around them. And so, you know, they're in trouble, right? I mean, this party is in deep trouble and politically. And I know that they're muscular and using their power and, you know, flipping somebody in North Carolina, which looks really weird, that whole thing. And, you know, what's happening in Tennessee, they have power and they're using it. But in terms of being able to win national elections, keep the House, their thing looks really like they're in trouble, yeah. you know? And, and I, and I think that, you know, there's no way to put lipstick on this pig here <laughs> really. And, and it's, it's, they're a troubled party that's been overtaken by extremists and it could be a, bra- a brand problem for them for a long time. I mean, if you're a 24 year old Hispanic family in Texas and, you know, your wife gets pregnant and, now there's a heightened chance that she could die um, because the Republicans would deny her the kind of care that she needs. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're ever going to vote Republican ever again, you know, over something where you're now aware that there's like a 15% chance that your wife could die in the miscarriage where before it was, let's say 2%. Why would they do that? Why would they take such extreme actions and put my own family and my wife's health at risk for what? And I think that the the ability for us to use their extremism against them in this election and, you know, many elections in the future, we have a lot to work with here. Yeah. And I, I think that, the, you know, the, they we keep thinking they're going to take an off-ramp and sort of stumble <laughs> back into being a center-right party. And in fact, the MAGA virus continues to spread and get worse. Yeah, something's going to have to smack them in the back of the head to disabuse them of this position they're taking. In fact, a couple days ago, you tweeted this. Imagine that Trump has gotten the entire conservative party, conservative in quotes, to defend his cheating on his wife with a porn star while she was home with a newborn, making illegal payments to silence her, covering it up, lying about it for years, even a few days ago. I mean, what what this has proved for the last eight plus years is that if a Republican leader is raising enough money and is strong enough in the polls, uh, character and criminality, totally irrelevant. I mean, is it fair to say that this is a party that's driven by a business model rather than an issues message? And, it's, and, yeah, It's a great way of looking at it. And I, I, I need to think about what you just said, 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I really know anymore. I mean, I have a different, let me posit a different way. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I mean, let me posit it a different way. Okay. The thing I've been writing a little bit about in the last few weeks is that, you know, I, I was, I started my career as a TV news producer and writer. I worked for ABC News before I went into politics. And I also was a regular guest on Fox News for 17 years. And mm -hmm. I did thousands of appearances on Fox, unpaid. I didn't get paid. So I, I understand the media business. Yeah. Right? I, it's, I grew up in it. I've lived in it. And I think what we have to think about when we think about the Republicans now is that a long time ago, and they expanded the definition of what a political party was, and they added media to it, right? We see media as something other than politics, right? We, mm -hmm. we have our campaigns and our, and our party committees, and then the media is over here. They expanded the definition of what politics is to include right-wing talk radio at first, and then they got an actor to run and become the president in 1980. They got another television star to run and become the president in 2016. And that, and now Fox News, right, which was set up in 1996 to make sure that there was never a Republican president ever impeached and removed from office ever again, um, you know, they've become in essence the party. That in essence, this this embrace of media because media can talk about anything else. It's, un it's, it's unlimited. It's not regulated in the way, Bob, you can talk about anything here. Mm -hmm. right? Basically, Fox News is now the Republican Party. Yeah, right? It's a more powerful institution than the RNC is. It picks winners and losers, right? I mean, it endorses in primaries. It endorses in elections. They openly endorse candidates, right? Like it's not, you know, not a news organization. It never was. You know, it hasn't been for many, many years. It was at one point, I think, by the way but it isn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And and so they now have become eaten alive by basically their redefinition of what politics is to include media, where now the media box is the party. And the politicians don't govern. They don't have agendas. They don't legislate. They try to get hot minutes on the floor to get on Fox News, and to and it's all performative now. And it's become completely disconnected from the realities of governing and the, you know, false and truth and, you know, analytical things about what policy works. Yeah. I mean, even today, I'll give you an example. Um, I was, I'm going to write about this in a few days, but the Republicans have been arguing that Joe Biden is responsible for higher energy prices. Mm -hmm. And I, I've really been trying to figure this out because it's it's among the most ridiculous things that's ever <laughs> been said since I've been in Washington for the last 30 years because OPEC is actually responsible for setting oil prices and it's run by Saudi Arabia and Russia and Saudi Arabia and Russia have been raising oil prices. They just did it this week, right? Even though inflation is high, they're, I think, doing this in part to sort of screw with us a little bit. Mm -hmm. And rather than saying the Republicans say, hey, you know, we want Russia and Saudi Arabia to stop raising our energy prices because they're the ones who are doing it. They're blaming Biden for it. And it's it's just so ridiculous, right? I mean, it's just I just read an op-ed by this guy, David Winston, who's obviously been paid by oil and gas money. And and if you read the op-ed, it's there's almost nothing in it that he writes that is true about oil and gas and about mm. energy and what Biden's doing. And I just, there's a level of untruth now on their side that is 
hard to really comprehend, right? It's hard to really comprehend how we got here and how loosened from truth. And it's, and by the way, this is a manifestation of their illiberalism. Yeah. If you are of in contempt of voting and voters, then you don't have any problems lying to them. If you believe that democracy is based on and can only succeed if you have an informed citizenry, then you take your responsibility as a person in government explaining what you do very seriously. It's one of the reasons I do tons of media as I try to help people understand their country that they live in and make good decisions, right? The Republicans don't do that. They lie to their own voters yeah. with, with impunity in a way that I think is hard for us, many of us on our side, to really understand because it is a fundamentally illiberal act. It's a contempt of democracy. Mm-hmm. And but that's where they are, you know. Okay, one last break. Back with more Simon Rosenberg right after these words. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska plays more music. One thing I've observed is this confluence of the Republican Party, as you were saying, and Fox News Channel as a gigantic example, as a gigantic player in the conservative entertainment complex. This entire infrastructure of Republican podcasts and Republican websites and Republican Twitter accounts and Republican cable networks and so on and so on and so on. And the Republican Party, what it is now organized around is providing content for that entertainment complex. And that content is by and large horseshit. They are feeding the conservative entertainment complex fiction, historical fiction, whatever you want to call it. It's fiction. And, of course, the conservative entertainment complex is eating that up, rebroadcasting that. And it's like this uh, endless cycle. It's an Ouroboros of nonsense. And so that only gets them, though. That kind of extreme, fictitious message only gets them to a certain number of votes. And then in order to get the rest of the way... They need to create these structural impediments to voting in order to win elections. You know what I mean? Because in essence, they become captured by Fox. Yes. They're now in a box. They're in this bubble. Right. You know, Greg Sargent from The Washington Post used to call it Foxlandia. (laughs) As a sort of this imaginary space that they live in that they can't get out of. Yeah. And and so you're right. They can't get out. So what they need to do is to gain the system so they can stay in that space because they can't leave and still somehow have power. And and I and I think that what is amazing to me, and one of the things that I'm worried about using this analogy, is that just like in entertainment, right, you have to keep people entertained. And so you can't keep doing the same thing. 
So you need to escalate. You need to create new drama. You need to create new storylines. You need to create new characters. And so what you're seeing now, I would argue, is that after 2021, when an insurrection almost you know, ended our democracy, one would have assumed that the Republicans would have walked away from this politics <laughs> because it had become manifestly dangerous for the country and frankly for them, right? Yeah. They had just lost the election. They lost the Senate. They no longer had any power in Washington. But they actually escalated MAGA. MAGA became more virulent and more and spread and became more wild, right? Yeah. Same thing's happening this cycle, right? They just had a bad election cycle. They, you know, dramatically under, historically underperformed in a midterm election. And yet it feels like things are getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and I, what I worry about, and it's the way you've described it, is this entertainment complex is demanding, you know, it's like the, the Roman Forum, right? Well, you know, having a lion tear one guy apart isn't good enough. Now he needs to tear two guys apart, right? And and to escalate the entertainment value, you know, by becoming, you know, I I'll give you an example of this. I I you know I, I'm on Twitter a lot, and uh, in the last few days I've been I fell into some conservative nest of ugliness. <laughs> oh God, right? where, I'm so sorry. You know, where they, yeah, I know it happens. It happens, right? It's part of the game, right? Yeah. And but it's also interesting because I learn mm -hmm. from where they are, where their heads are at. And the the thing they're talking about now that I is new to me is that we are for chopping off body parts of children. Oh yeah. And yeah. And, and that I, I hadn't really encountered that uh in as directly as I have over the last couple of days. And so they're now saying repeatedly, this came in dozens and dozens of this is a that we are not just pedophiles, right? But that we actually want to chop the body parts and the mm -hmm. genitals off of children as yes. a national strategy and who we are and what we're about. I don't know what's left after that, right? <laughs> like, and you know, I mean, what what's the next thing? Where do they go from there? Yeah. Where do they go from there, right? It used to be that we drank the blood of babies, yeah. right? Which was what QAnon believes. And the, we had those tunnels underneath that pizza place in Northwest DC, but now the Democrats are regularly chopping off body parts of children. And I, I don't know where you, I, I, I feel like they're getting to a point where there's no mm -hmm. further place to go. Right. And, and, and this is why they may be running out of steam. And this is why MAGA may be losing some of its, you know, we're getting 55% because it's becoming more ridiculous than it's ever been. It, it's becoming more dangerous, more unhinged, you know, six week abortion bans. This is serious stuff. I mean, people's yeah. lives are going to be dramatically affected, but at the same time, it may be that MAGA, like a TV show, right? It were at the end of its run and it's starting to feel, you know, wacko and crazy and that they've kind of lost the through line. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, but let's hope that I'm, you know, that, it is losing some of its power and that we're going to run up the score in 2024 and crush them. And so the Republicans hopefully will reinvent their party to something that looks more like a traditional center-right political party. So tell me about uh, the new Substack, the Hopium Chronicles. This is brand yeah, new, sure. isn't it? I, yeah, it's very new. It's less than a month old. I'm really enjoying it. The water's warm. People should come check it out. It's free. <laughs> you can subscribe for free. And if you want to join for 45 bucks a year, you get, you know, hang out with me a couple times a month on Zoom and some other goodies. But 
it's a way for me, you know, the organization I ran for 27 years was a 501c4, c3. There's a lot of limits on speech and political activity that comes from those kinds of political organizations. Mm -hmm. And I felt that we were at a moment where I needed to be more free to fight harder for all of us. And that my journey through the red wave over the last year raised a lot of concerns for me about the ability and the power of the right-wing noise machine to bamboozle even very accomplished and serious people in mm. Washington. And I became a little bit alarmed by my journey, to be honest. Um, and I felt like I, I was in a position because of having been the guy that got the election right, and I'm in this place where at least for another year, I'm in kind of a special little Washington place <laughs> that I can use this connection I made with many people you know, I got 100 million Twitter views in the middle of October to early November, and I connected with lots and lots of people on Twitter, wow. events, and I'm going to use this place I have now, which is a different place than I've been in, to become a, a, a more aggressive warrior against MAGA. And I am committing to um, leave it all on the playing field because uh, I think that we have an opportunity now not just to prevent, like last cycle, we were making sure – MAGA didn't regain power. Mm -hmm. This cycle, it's something different. Now it's about running up to score, getting to 55, breaking the back of MAGA in the election next year, loosening its dark grip on the Republican Party, which is good for both parties, frankly, and for the country. And I feel that I'm, you know, I needed a different vehicle to do that. I really like Substack. I, I'm also doing it because I'm a lot of my work has been on Twitter. And Twitter, <laughs> I think we all recognize is not what it was, and it's getting worse. And oh, yeah. I needed a place where I could do my work. And I became convinced that Substack, while not perfect, it doesn't solve all the problems, it's not social media, it's a piece of the solution that's going to come as we move beyond the Twitter, Facebook, meta era of surveillance capitalism and all the things that social, all the harms that social media has brought. We desperately need a different kind of, a better media, a healthier media. Uh, and I think Substack is part of that. It's not the only piece there's going to be many other things and i think yeah. things like what you're doing bob frankly and oh, the thank you pod save america are doing and you know uh courier newsroom and resolute square and deep state radio and midas touch i mean we're starting to build our own media yep. pro-democracy media right and i think that it's long overdue um we need to do that and then my final point about all this and we'll wrap up is that for those who come to my Substack and for, listen to me rant and rave like I did today, the other challenge I'm making to all of us as Democrats is that, look, we've we've created very muscular campaigns. Our grassroots are very strong. We're raising tons of money, much more than they are. We have millions of volunteers who are writing postcards and texting and phoning into these swing districts, right? This is a really a major thing that we've built together over the last few years. But I think we have to add one more piece to that which is that we need to start getting louder and become information warriors and, and engaging in the day-to-day -day information war. Fox News and these right-wing news organizations, they're operating every day. And we aren't, right? We just aren't loud enough. And I think in the next two years, if everybody listening today can think of, you know, when you think of the war room, you think of 20 sweaty kids drinking Red Bulls, you know, producing videos. We need to think of the war room as like 4 million people getting up every day spreading the good news and the good works of Democrats to their to their networks, right? It's what you do, Bob, right? It's part of what you yeah, do every yeah. day. And, and, and spreading it. And if 4 million people can reach 10 more people each, 
right? That's 40 million people. That's a hell of a lot more than the two to 3 million people that Fox News reach every day, mm -hmm. right? So we have more power than we understand. And I'm really trying to challenge everyone who's listening today to take their role as an a proud patriot information warrior, get loud, you know, not be annoying, right? But to get louder yep. um, and to help make sure that the information space is not being filled up by right-wing horseshit every day mm -hmm. that we're actually helping contest and fill it up before they fill it up, right? Yep. The premise of the war room in 1992 wasn't to do rapid response. It was to get ahead of them and to find the terms of the debate before they got in. We are playing defense too much. We have to learn how to go on offense in, in the information space far more aggressively and I think there, I think we can make enormous strides in this in a very short period of time. And that's part of what we're working on at Hopium Chronicles. Yeah, and don't wait for cable news to reform or get better. There's plenty of progressive, liberal, center-left yep. content out there that you can subscribe to, that you can yep. look at every day, that you can circulate. And I underscore a thousand times, circulate, share, like, retweet, right. etc. Amplify. Amplify. Yeah, amplify all of it as best you can. So this particular substack is uh, simonwdc.substack.com. It is called the Hopium Chronicles. I got a link in the description for yeah, just type all of it. In, if you go to Google, just type in Simon Rosenberg Substack and yeah. it will take you right there. Yeah. Well, Simon, uh, thank you so much. I so appreciate your grounded optimism. So, well, Bob, thank you for what you do. I mean, it's it takes a village, right? Yeah. And you know, the way to think of it is that we're all playing different positions on the same team. That's right. Yeah, we're all voices in a loud chorus, right? Doing our part. And the only way this works, right, is that we do this together. And the sum becomes greater than the parts. Our voices get loud collectively. And I think what's been so exciting is that the Democratic Party and the grassroots now is stronger than it's ever been. We're yep. building something deeply powerful that's saving our democracy. But we still have a lot of work to do. And I look forward to doing it with you and all your listeners in the coming, coming months. It's great talking with you again, Simon. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Bye-bye.